0: going on everybody it's your buddy it's your pal Spaz Phoenix the YWC reality check and this is WWE last week your weekly look back at the week that was in the WWE now as a reminder there won't be a WWE last week next week because we will have everything covered off in the go home show to uh oh what's it called we've got five pay-per-views left this year goddamn crown jewel Crown Jewel uh, is next Saturday. There will not be a WWE last week because the following episode of WWE last week will include Crown Jewel and everything that happens afterwards. And that's how it goes since I started this series. That's seemed to work out well for me, I guess. Um, it's only really the second pay per view that's come along since then, and I'm not gonna lie. When we do talk about the when we do talk about the predictions for Crown Jewel. I will go over the spoilers for SmackDown, because SmackDown's already been taped, it's already happened, I've already looked at a few of them, we're not going to talk about that tonight. But, more importantly, this episode's going to be a little bit different, because I didn't do an NXT review this week. Work kicked my ass, wasn't feeling well, Wasn't. I was even more not awake than usual, so... Everything that happened at Halloween Havoc and everything that happened at NXT is going to be included in this episode this week, which means one of two things. One, this episode's going to be incredibly long, so I appreciate your patience, and two, it's probably going to be done in sections, depending on when I can sit down and do some recordings. It'll probably have like a Raw section and an NXT section where we'll also talk about Halloween Havoc, and then we'll have a SmackDown section because there's a lot to talk about about what happened on SmackDown, and I'm in a really, really good mood, if you can't tell. So let's get started. Let's talk about Raw, the biggest show of the week. It'll probably be the biggest chunk of the pod, but again, as we've been saying, as we've been chugging along towards Crown Jewel, it really is just all building block stuff that doesn't really... um, it's nothing to write home about, but everything is functioning exactly the way you want it to, and that's not a big headline It's not, but it is a step up from before, before Triple H took over, when that wasn't the case. When everything's just okay now, and there's nothing to talk about, but what you can talk about is before it wasn't okay, I think that's still a headline. You tell me down in the box below if you think I'm wrong, or if you're listening to this in an audio platform, come find me on Twitter and, and let me know. I uh, Might as well throw this out there right now as well. If you're listening to this on any of your audio platforms, Spotify, iTunes, etc., etc., etc. If you want to find me on YouTube, look Spaz Phoenix. If you want to find me on a YouTube alternative, you can find me on Rumble at Spaz Phoenix podcast. I think it's just Rumble.com slash Spaz Phoenix podcast. Uh, if you are listening to this, or sorry, watching slash listening to this on YouTube or Rumble. If you want to find me in an audio platform, go to any of your favorite audio platforms. I think iHeartRadio still has me on there. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. Anchor is the program that I use that puts it out to everybody else. So anywhere you want to find me on any of those, find me on Twitter at SpazPhoenix or at SpazPhoenix1. Find me on Instagram at SpazPhoenix or you can go to Facebook and look at the SpazPhoenix podcast Facebook group. Drop your thoughts on there. I don't really... I will say, I try. I'm trying to get better with it. Uh, I don't do a whole lot on... Excuse me. Sorry. I don't do a lot on the Facebook page because it doesn't get any engagement. Uh, I do get engagement on Instagram because it's sort of a mix of stuff for the podcast and stuff for me. Same with Twitter. Uh, But the uh, the Facebook page is sort of a graveyard right now. If you guys start interacting more on there, I will uh, talk about it a little more. But I'm not going to spit it out into the vapor, if that makes any sense. So let's talk about Raw. Raw started out with the Judgment Day coming out, bragging about Dominic Mysterio beating AJ, Lee. uh, I have to stop saying AJ Lee, AJ Styles, um, talking about the fact that they now run Raw. Dominic calls himself the Guerrero of his generation, and then he corrects himself, and he says, no, Eddie Guerrero was the Dominic Mysterio of his generation. Uh, the OC comes out, they all tell Dom to shut up, um, says you're not this generation's Eddie Guerrero, how dare you, you're more like this generation's James Ellsworth, which got a pop out of me. Um, Finn Balor tells AJ Styles to stop hiding in the club that he made, and then Anderson takes over the conversation, which leads to a uh, an opening match between Carl Anderson and Finn Balor. Now, I will always say, I am not the, uh, I am not the expert that I should be on stuff outside of WWE. I do not know anything about New Japan. I do not know about anything about pre-Tony Khan ROH. Um, I don't know anything about any of that stuff, and I don't watch the Elite YouTube show because a wrestling company shouldn't give you homework. We've been over this. But I do believe, I really wish I had my buddy Guapo here, because he's my, he's my not-WWE guy, but I do believe it was actually Carl Anderson and Finn Balor, or Fergal David, that started the Bullet Club. Is that a thing? Or did I make that up in my head? These guys obviously know each other, obviously had a solid match. Uh, They they started telling a nice story about Finn Balor's leg at one point. The match was given a decent amount of time, too. I think it was given like 20 minutes. Really, really crowded ringside area with uh, Gallows and Styles on one side and the rest of Judgment Day on the other side. AJ Styles goes for Dom at one point, they brawl, Rhea Ripley, this is what everybody talks about, this is the talking point of the match, and it wasn't even a part of the match, Rhea Ripley scoop slams Luke Gallows, hops into the ring, low blows Carl Anderson, and Balor gets the win. I know we can't do it in this day and age, and I know that China comparisons are really dangerous, and I want to walk the line of not being disrespectful in that regard. But let Ripley wrestle the guys. Seriously, if we do have anything close to a china esque character in modern WWE... I mean, you could probably put Baszler in there as well. You could pro I mean, in a different way, you could definitely put uh, Rousey in there as well. But, like, as far as a China-esque character and, you know, legitimate presence and, you know, face-to-face value and all that kind of thing and somebody who's coming off like an absolute star at the moment, Rhea Ripley, even if it's a joke, even if it's a one-off, put it on pay-per-view so that the TV providers uh, don't get upset. You know... Luke Gallows versus Rhea Ripley on a pre show somewhere. Just just do it so that you know you can. And then don't do it and then leave it alone. And then as as a topic, we can leave it alone for a while. I've always said if you want to do intergender wrestling, start with mixing the cruiserweights with the women's division, but then they got rid of the cruiserweight title, so what the fuck do I know? Balor gets the win, Ripley got a, a moment because yeah, she had her in ring comeback on NXT the week before the week before Halloween Havoc and the Pick Your Poison stuff and had that awesome match with Roxanne Perez. Can we get her back actively in the title picture to please, please, God, if it's not Bailey, save that title from Bianca Belair. Oh, yes. But, yeah, great opening segment. Uh, Great, uh, I don't know what you want to say. It Just this guy versus this guy, and this guy versus this guy, and this guy versus this guy, and this girl throws herself in the mix because of, you know, the whole groups are going to fight at... uh, at Crown Jewel. Now, there's a lot of comedy segments later on in the night, and I don't think I wrote them all down, but basically, you got Carl Anderson in the back, in the medical area, getting his balls iced down, and. <laughs> Luke Gallows goes on and he says, well, I'll I'll go handle the Rhea Ripley problem, and they said, didn't she just body slam you? And he he does the Luke Gallows thing of, like, being absolutely ridiculous and it absolutely working, because he says, body slams are my love language. And then he comes back, and he's also been nailed in the nuts. So, they have to find a different solution to the Rhea Ripley problem. Now... That Obviously, that means that they're going to find a female member of the Bullet Club. Now, the last time, or, or the, of the OC, the last time AJ Styles went and got a female um, assistant or a female team member because he was facing off against the Judgment Day, that was Liv Morgan in a very, very different scenario. Now, she's on SmackDown. She's basically had her dick pounded into the dirt recently by the booking over on SmackDown. We're going to talk about that later. And... I'm sorry, there's no believability between Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan at this point. I love love, uh, Liv Morgan, don't get me wrong. I think the way that they've absolutely buried her on, uh, I thought by putting her with Sonya Deville, which we are going to talk about later, it was going to raise both of them up, but I think it's actually pushing both of them down, which is really, really unfortunate, Gargano runs into the Miz in the back, and he says, I know what you're doing, I know what you're up to, da 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 da. quit lying, Miz calls him a troll, Miz calls him a hater, Miz calls him all the other, uh, all the other online lingo that WWE writers could come up with, and then he goes out to the ring, he goes over the Dexter Loomis harassment, says, Dexter Loomis... You know, you want to know the truth about Dexter Lewis and why he's doing what he did to me? He's jealous of Tommaso Ciampa. He's jealous that I took Tommaso Ciampa under my wing instead of him. And, uh, you know, because of that jealousy, Ciampa hasn't been seen in weeks. Gargano comes out on the ramp, calls him out on his bullshit once again. He says he isn't missing. And if he's your best friend, then you guys have some, like, broken communication or whatever. Because I just got off the phone with him. He's injured. He's going to be out for a bit, and Roddy Roddy rod why don't you just come out and tell the truth? And at this point, I have to say, I put this in my notes because it was distracting, there was a diamond mine sign on the Raw stage, which I thought was really cool. Um, not the first sign of uh, things that like that that we're going to see on this week's Raw, but they go into this big whole thing about tell the truth, don't tell the truth, tell the truth, don't tell the truth, and our truth comes out. He says, okay, I'm the truth, what are you going to tell me? Because they're in Charlotte, and that's apparently where... Um, that's apparently where our truth is from. I didn't know that, by by the way. I I will say one of the most disappointing things of tonight's uh, Monday Night Raw was the fact that they were in Charlotte, North Carolina. There had been heavy rumors about Charlotte Flair returning, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't the case, which is super super unfortunate. I thought they was gonna, they were going to run out during the main event, but we'll get to the main event when we get to the main event. Um. <sighs> He isn't missing, he's injured, ra da ra Miz versus Truth, because why the hell not? They do the whole, you know, you can't handle the Truth bit. Um, Gargano comes back out dressed like Dexter, costs the win. Truth gets a nice, feel-good victory in his hometown, which is always good. Our truth is always good for a laugh. He's always good in a segment like this. The Miz can be ridiculous. The Gargano working with The Miz works, but I hope they find something more serious for him to do soon. The whole, oh my god, what's the secret thing, is going to run out of steam eventually, and sticking our truth in there was a nice, entertaining surprise to distract you from the fact that they are stretching out this, hey, Johnny's got a secret Thing going on. Sit down. We were supposed to get a sit down interview with Candice LeRae, but uh, we don't uh, get a sit down with Candice LeRae. We, uh, because damage control burst in. They give her a three on one beat down off camera, which was kind of cool, but not before saying, "Hey, you don't have anybody to help you right now." Bianca's getting ready for our match later, and Oscar's gone, and Bliss is gone, and why are they gone? They're gone because of us. Um, they say the interv- They decide that the interview's over. They push the camera down, so the camera's like shooting the wall, and all you hear is the sounds of the beatdown. Which is, on the one hand, it might come off as a bit lame because you're not seeing the beatdown. But on the other hand, they get they get so uh, raked over the coals with how good or bad their backstage beatdown segments are that tossing the camera away and leaving it to the theater of, their, of yeah, the theater of the mind. I can speak. I swear, um, was a nice neat little thing. Now, if this becomes their new thing and this is the thing that they do all the time, yeah, of course. No, that's that's not how it's going to go. But for this, it's everybody likes Kaneis Ray, everybody's happy for her to come back. It's all good. Up next, we get another backstage segment and it's Elias and Riddle talking to each other, talking about last week's segment, talking about how they're all, you know, they have a mutual respect, but hey, don't uh don't interrupt one of my concerts again. Riddle's now carrying around the bongo drums, so I guess that's going to be a thing. Gable and Otis come by and make fun of them by calling them Blink180 Shush, which is fine, I guess. I will say go back to the What Culture review of this show and they do a whole big spiel about all these different band names, replacing them with the word shush, and it's it's pretty it's pretty good. It's pretty good, not gonna lie. Up next we have what I didn't really know what to expect from, which was Austin Theory versus Mustafa Ali, because here's where we decide whether the Mustafa Ali push was a one-week push, here's where we decide, hey, are they eventually going to do something with Austin Theory, seeing as he's got the money in the bank briefcase, we're going to talk about that in a second, um, and then we have Rollins coming out, <laughs> Rollins comes out, um, it works on two levels, because he's, he's on commentary, he's great on commentary, obviously, Um you know, he comes out in his typical flamboyant Seth Rollins self, which is nice. There's a Curb Stomp Me Seth sign in the crowd, and I don't want to I don't wanna take that any farther. Um, it is kind of cool having him on commentary, because not only is his new rival in Mustafa Ali in the ring, but his old protege in in the form of Austin Theory is also in the ring. Remember, it was Austin Theory and Buddy Murphy and Seth Rollins, and remember he had the uh, Authors of Pain at one point, and it was like the whole, like, crew of them, the Disciples, and all that kind of thing. Um, really, really good match from these two. Um, I thought that they were going to squash the Money in the Bank guy, because that's just what they do. Rollins has, uh, Rollins hops off of commentary, I should say, at one point. Uh, Theory crotches Ali on the top rope, A-Town down by Theory, and Theory gets the win. We didn't bury the Money in the Bank guy for once, and there was a post-match down by Rollins to put the, put the focus on Mustafa Ali, and I want to say this in the right way. Uh, there's a there's a misnomer going around in the wrestling world right now where if you've got two, a match with two wrestlers that can't lose, then you should never put them together. That's such a chicken shit outlook on how to do wrestling that it's unreal because here you have a win for the guy who theoretically, and yes, I use theoretically as a pun, is going to get himself a shot at a title. I really did like the fact that they teased he was going to cash in on NXT, because that was interesting and then disappointing very quickly. Um, but we didn't b- bury the Money in the Bank guy for once, which is good, because it's such, a, it's such an expected thing right now. It was, it was such a, a, a pattern of the old regime to bury the Money in the Bank guy with the idea of, being, well, we're going to give you a title eventually, Uh, so we can bury you in the meantime, which was bad, because when they won, here's this guy that loses to everybody that just beat the champion. So the the now former champion looks like shit, because they lost to a loser. That doesn't work at all. In this case, you put some momentum behind the guy with the briefcase, because right now you look at it and the champion is Roman Reigns, and there's no way Austin Theory wins a cash-in against Roman Reigns, because A, it's Roman Reigns, which is good, and B, it's Austin Theory, which is bad, because one's been booked really well, one's been booked really terribly, so you need to give him these wins, and you need to give him these matches with guys like Mustafa Ali, who can give him a good match, because all he has going up for him right now is, he's got a prop, which is what it is, until it gets cashed in, and he's got the the punchable face character, which is good, and he's really good at it, don't get me wrong, he's adjusted to the McMahon character not being there and not playing up that protege angle anymore really well. Problem is, he can be as good as he wants to be at that character, but it's so similar to The Miz, to now LA Knight, who we're going to talk about on SmackDown, to Grayson Waller, who's still in NXT, that that type of character alone isn't going to float you along. So you need to start building his momentum, even if it's completely fake. So they achieved that, and then they save Mustafa Ali by reminding you that he's got something else on his horizon which is a match against Seth Rollins at some point for that United States Championship which is bigger because a lot people a lot of people right now will more likely believe Mustafa Ali getting an upset victory over Seth Rollins than Austin Theory getting an upset victory over Roman fucking Reigns let's let's be realistic about that so you give the guy that needs the victory more a victory, you give the other guy uh, a hard-fought defeat, because he's the baby face. he can get himself over in defeat, and you remind the crowd that he's got something better on the horizon already, there's not much to worry about, I think this was a win on all sides for everybody, but for me, and that's only, that's, we're one week into fixing the Money in the Bank winner, we are one week and a half-ish into actually WWE pushing Mustafa Ali, so, we're still at the starting blocks. I'm not saying that this is a runaway victory by any stretch of the imagination. These are good first steps. And as I said before, in the previous regime, we wouldn't even have gotten these good first steps. So I'm going to celebrate them while I can. Also, want to throw it over to the rumor mill a little bit. Uh, rumor is that they might have him hold Money in the Bank all the way up until the next Money in the Bank and run a countdown angle say, like, hey, he's held that for an entire year, welcome to Money in the Bank, whatever, Austin Theory, if he's going to cash that uh, briefcase in, he's got three hours to do it, he's got two hours to do it, he's got 30 minutes to do it. I don't know how well that will work, per se, because by the time you get to that day, it's going to seem really contrived, but I am interested to see how they try to pull it off. If that's the case. Oh, and the winner is... Or, sorry, and the other rumor is... And I'm going to do a separate video on the whole, like, pay-per-view change-up thing eventually, too. I might do that later on in December because it's mostly rumors towards next year and how they're going to restructure things. But the rumor is that they may scrap the Money in the Bank pay-per-view after next year, bring it back to WrestleMania because there's two nights of WrestleMania, have the guys' match on one night and the girls' night on the other. Um... If that's the case, it doesn't hurt my feelings whatsoever. It makes me wonder if they're going to give the Royal Rumble the same treatment. If they're talking already about SummerSlam being two nights like WrestleMania, which is fine. Make it a whole weekend event. I don't mind that. But if you have a whole Royal Rumble on a Saturday and another whole Royal Rumble on a Sunday, that's a lot. Now, it's a lot right now because you're squishing it all into one night. It's a lot to do that and then build an entire rest of a card around it and then do it again the next night and build a whole rest of a card around it. Let me know, let me know what you guys think in general. You guys probably read read or listen to the same stuff that I do. What do you guys think of the all these different rumors that we're hearing that Elimination Chamber might go back to being no way out. We're scrapping Hell in the Cell. There's going to be more international shows, which I'm really in favor of, not going to lie. Elimination Chamber is apparently going to be in Montreal next year, so apparently I live in the wrong province. Uh, Apparently they're getting rid of Money in the Bank. Apparently they're expanding on what WrestleMania is going to be. Um, There's lots and lots of rumors. Less gimmicks, more international shows, maybe less pay-per-views overall, we don't know. Maybe Triple H bringing back uh, the TakeOver brand. Let me know what you guys think about all the pay-per-view scheduling changes in the box below, because I am going to do a separate pod on those eventually, I just don't know when. In the back, we see Gargano rushing through the halls to help Candice LeRae because of the beatdown from Damage Control earlier, and he's stopped by The Miz, who tries to butter him up so that he won't reveal... Uh, the Dexter Loomis secret thing, he even gives him a condolences card for Candice LeRae, even though the beatdown on Candice LeRae just happened, and then he walks away, and he says, look, I know what you're trying to do, and I'm going to reveal your secret next week anyway, look at this card, you didn't even sign it, and there's no money in it, you're a rich guy, you should have put money in it, which, although I will agree it's not a very babyface line, was really, really funny, and then he bumps into JBL, and the new era wrestling god, Baron I love the JBL-Corbin thing already because I'm sorry and I know it sounds like I'm being a sarcastic asshole when I say this and I kind of am. Why do I like the JBL thing? Why do I like the JBL-Baron uh, Corbin pairing? Because it's pissing off all the right people. That is it, that is all. Um, JBL does exactly what people accuse JBL of doing, oh you, you wouldn't have survived in the attitude area. you would have been carrying my bags, rah rodddy, rah you know, I, you did a whole lot of good things in the Indies, but I don't know what it's like to play in the minor leagues because guys like me and Corbin, we only do the A5 star you know main event stuff. <laughs> it's just it's funny. I can't wrap my head around why people are so mad about this because the character JBL is playing on TV right now is the guy you actually accuse him of being. So are you not getting what you want or are you upset because what you want got made fun of? Is it like the people that got upset watching NXT because they made an SJW character that reflected you a little too perfectly? Oh yes, do I think that's what it is? Absolutely. Uh, Omos kills four jobbers, which is nice. Uh, um, Gable versus Elias because of their thing in the back before. Uh, Crazy wrestling-style gator roll thing by Gable to start off the match. A lot of mat wrestling to follow, which was kind of counterproductive because it showed how much Elias can't really keep up in that. Elias is a great pro wrestler. Dude's in awesome shape. He can do a lot of good things. But if you put him in in there with a mat guy like Gable, it's going to... It's going to highlight his weaknesses and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, Gable hit a modified... Uh, he hit a modified... Uh, what do you call that move that uh, Lashley does it on? Modified Dominator at one point in the match. This was after some successful double-teaming and some cheap shots by Otis on the outside. But a knee shot by Elias, who has a far ve- better V-trigger than Kenny Omega, uh, followed by the Driftaway, gets the win for Elias. And I'm going to keep saying this, especially because he keeps referencing his brother Ezekiel. Where the, where the fuck is Kevin Owens... Like, Kevin Owens needs to come back for this at some point. Uh, after the match, uh, Ot- Otis hops in the in the ring. Gable is all of a sudden revitalized because that's what happens after the bell. Two-on-one beatdown, saved by Riddle. Obviously, this is going to pr- uh, promote itself into a tag team match for next week slash tonight when you guys are listening to this. It's fine. It is what it is. We've just sort of pulled out of the RK-Bro era with Riddle, and he's had some good singles stuff Please don't just throw them into another tag team permanently, is all I'm going to say. Um, we get all the stuff with the OC, you know, body slams are my love language. We have a Rhea Ripley problem, rah rah rah. JBL introduces Baron Corbin, we get Baron Corbin versus Johnny Gargano for obvious reasons, Uh, JBL on commentary once again winding up all the right people for the same reasons that I mentioned earlier, they have a cool size speed Uh, story, we have a cool brawler grappler thing, At one point when Johnny Gargano has the upper hand, he goes out to JBL on commentary, and I think he smacks him in the face and dances around and does, like, six-shooter poses with JBL's hat on, so to get back at that, JBL trips him on his way back into the ring, end of days, which is still a killer-looking move, and Corbin gets the win. This is the exact, and I hate to say it, because JBL didn't have anything to do with, and actually, actually that's not true jbl was the general manager of nxt for a while um but this is the kind of story that you would have gotten with the original corbin character in nxt back when nxt was being booked like a super indie corbin's thing was he hated the indie wrestlers and he was the one you know off camera saying hey get back to the bingo halls get back to get back to ovw or get back to wherever so this is sort of a throwback to that like he's throwing back to his previous work and i think that's a win i really really do um never going to say that Corbin is the greatest wrestler in the world but he is a lot of people say this a lot of the time about Cody Rhodes before he left the WWE and begrudgingly I will say it's absolutely true the dashing stuff the deranged stuff the uh Cody Rhodes with the mustache the the Rhodes Scholar anything they threw at Cody Rhodes he did it and he threw himself into it and he sort of became the the I don't know what you want to say, the poster child for whatever that thing is. Throw it at me, I'll knock it out of the park. Uh, As far as a lot of the goofy stuff goes, very similar with The Miz. Miz does not get the credit he deserves. Baron Corbin, not quite on the same level as The Miz or Cody Rhodes, but he is the same kind of guy. Whatever this thing is going to be with him and JBL, he's going to throw himself into it all the way. Never get the credit that he deserves, but I think that's it's worth saying. And you put him in there with somebody like Johnny Gargano, who's going to play the indie wrestler taking on the superstar. This is very much... Oh, man, money in the bank... 2011 the whole not again i have to underline this not on the same level but it's why people were so into punk versus cena it's the wrestler versus the superstar now you've got a guy that's picking on indie wrestlers so you've got the indie wrestler versus the corporate wwe created guy even though corbin was one of the first genuine success stories of nxt of his day so it's a very cool, very understated thing that he's doing, and I'll say it again because I feel like saying it again. Keep JBL around. He pisses off all the right people. He keeps all the right people on their toes, and it makes me happy. And you know what? For a cheating double-team win over two guys that are twice the size of him each, this doesn't lose anything for Johnny Gargano either because he's still got a secret to hang over the Miz's head with the Dexter Loomis thing. Roddy Roddy rock, raw. I will say... And I will keep saying it until it happens, because a lot of the things that I want to happen are happening. You need to bring the group together, and you need to bring up Indy Hartwell. You need to have all five members of The Way. You need to have Gargano, Candice LeRae, Austin Theory, Indy Hartwell, Dexter Loomis. You need to have The Way on Raw, because, oh man, that doesn't, does that work? Does it not work? I mean, you've got an odd, an extra odd person here or there, because you could do The Way versus The Judgment Day. And at the pay-per-view, you could call that match The Judgment Way. Oh, yes. Very, very tired. Very, very creative. Very, very... I think it's funny because I said it. Um, Miz tries one more time to be a friend to Gargano. Secret's going to be revealed next week really long unnecessary video package on Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley at Crown Jewel cuz here's the thing about that all you need to do the people that will like it and the people that will not like it have already chosen their side all you have to do is say Brock Lesnar is going to face Bobby Lashley at Crown Jewel and that that's it that's uh that's all you need to do um the main event was Bailey versus Belair, Belair's out there by herself because isn't she such a good fighting champion? She needs to fuck off by the way. Oh, they were all at the Black Panther premiere, meh. Anyways, everybody needs to fuck off because that's the mood I'm in now. Um, obviously, bailey has got her friends on the outside. Obviously, Belair has no friends. Damage control has, has seen to that. The match is what it is. We spend all of our time thinking Bel Air should be the champion because she can lift stuff. And we continue to push the narrative that it doesn't break the entire wrestling world for her to come in with a weapon that she can hold in her hand and hit people with it and not get disqualified. And all the flaws, again, I have to specify, this is not on the character, this is not on the performer Bianca Blair. This is the the Bianca Belair character that has been created is the next John Cena. She's great. She's a a tremendous athlete, don't get me wrong. But if you want me to see her as a champion that hasn't just been plucked in place there, you have to do more than she can lift stuff. Because when they tried that with John Cena, oh look, he's going to do an F5, but he's going to do it to two people. But did that change anybody's opinion of John Cena? No. Because he was being pushed down your throats and you weren't allowed to say anything about it. It's kind of like Bianca Belair is being pushed down our throats and you can't say anything about it, which is why I really, really, really want the first piece of gold to be picked up by the Judgment Day to be Rhea Ripley re-establishing herself as the Raw Women's Championship. Raw Women's Championship holder. There we go. English words coming together. Oh, yes. Uh, The match is what it is. Bailey's. Fucking great. Until the end, where a hooded figure comes off the turnbuckle and takes out Dakota Kai and Eo Sky. So we think, we think that Bianca Belair has another ally. She does not have another ally. She, uh. Th- she, this, this hooded figure comes into the ring and takes out Bianca Belair. So it's like, okay, so you've taken out the heels back up. You've taken out the baby face, and Bailey, obviously being smart, you know, oh, it's heelish, no, it's it's smart, chaos is a ladder for all the Game of Thrones fans out there, take your win, establish yourself as somebody who has another pin fall over the champion, get yourself a title match later on down the line, um, but then the hooded figure attacks Bailey as well, so, Instrument of Chaos, oh my god, they've taken out both sides, rip off the hood, and what have I been saying for the longest time, bring it back, give her her name back, it's Mickey Cross, made me feel really fucking good, made me smile really fucking big, and this is where I say, where, where I said before, they were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was expecting the return of Charlotte, which will be awesome, and the people that don't want her to ever come back, because how dare she be white and blonde and successful, can fuck off. This is even better to me, and and I'll get into this more when we talk about SmackDown, but I think not only is Triple H doing a lot of cool things for the women's division, he's doing a lot of things specifically to establish that the the women's division has a mid-card and that is important, and part of that is getting Nikki Cross back to what she was before, ditching the superhero thing, she's not quite going back to, like, crazy, 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 like, girl from Sanity, but maybe that hyper wound up version of Nikki Cross that we had when she was partnered with Alexa Bliss, maybe we play it off that, you know, the assault of her former friend Alexa Bliss is part of her coming back this way, I don't know, But it does make me think, because look at the tag team that they put together. They had Nikki A.S.H. and Dewdrop. Can we let the other shoe drop? Yes, that rhymed. Yes, I did. Um, And can we get her back to either being Viper or being Piper Niven and just being a badass and not somebody that comes out to really, really weird electronic music? Um, They're not a tag team anymore, so I don't think that they're necessarily attached. One doesn't have to affect the other, but it could. And when we get to the other stuff that we're going to talk about on SmackDown, then I'm going to build on this theory a little bit more. But right now, i um, trying to think if there's, if there's anything else I need to say about Raw. I don't think there is. There's going to be a jump cut here because later on we're going to talk about NXT. So in a second, you're going to hear me talking about NXT. But for right now, bye. And we're back after that really, really awkward transition. One day I'm going to figure out how to do transitions. Today is not that day. going to talk about NXT with you guys right now because I didn't get to do an NXT review on Tuesday due to feeling sick, feeling like crap, being overworked at work, etc. All the things that I've already talked about. We don't need to talk about it again. But I do need to talk about uh, NXT Halloween Havoc, which is what you have to talk about before you talk about anything to do with this week's version of NXT. I thought Halloween Havoc was exactly... Exactly what it said on the tin. It wasn't five stars in the Tokyo Dome. It wasn't, you know, great five star matches. It was a Halloween themed developmental show. The stuff that I thought was great, I even said it in the preview as well, that there was three or four matches that I was really looking forward to and the rest of it was filler that I didn't really give a crap about. Um, Quick overview of the pay-per-view because I'm not going to do the whole thing. Wesley winning the North American Championship to open the show was the best match of the card. Obviously, great, great moment for him. Obviously, he's come full full circle uh, from getting screwed when his tag team partner got even more screwed um, and making this weird transition into being a singles wrestler to now being the North American Champion, which is absolutely awesome. The match itself was great. Von Wagner... Um, served exactly the purpose that I thought he would serve in this match, which was mostly posting for other people's high-flying awesome shit. Nathan Frazier really good in this match, but I will say as well, uh, the spot of the night, or at least the spot that set up the kind of predictable, but positively predictable ending was uh, Von Wagner literally chucking Wesley, the smallest guy in the ring, Completely out of the ring, cleared the ring ropes and onto the announce table, taking him out for a little bit, which set him up for a big return win hero's journey type moment. Um, there was a uh, video released in the back, and it was him and Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels congratulating him, etc. And I had millions and millions of like retweets and things filling my one or two were actually shared to me but it was all over the feed and it was all over the feed by those people that were like oh how come this is okay and all the pictures of tony Khan and his new signings are are bad now first of all I don't think necessarily um, Tony Khan's pictures with all his new signings and look look at this person that I stole from WWE are necessarily bad. If you look back at them now, look at this person that we're excited to see and what, what are they going to do for the company or whatever. It's bad when you've got, when it's somebody like Ruby Soho who you brought in just to say you had her and then did nothing with her. But here's the difference. Here is the difference. If you got... And, and the side-by-side that people were using was the the photo of Shawn Michaels hugging and congratulating Wesley. And uh, on the other side, it happened to be... Not that it really matters. It has nothing to do with Claudio. But the one that most people were using were the picture of Tony Khan uh, hugging Claudio Castagnoli. Which, again, in itself is fine. But if you want to make a comparison between the two, they couldn't be more different. With Tony Khan... And you guys know how I feel about Tony Khan at this point after fucking CM Punk the way he did and sending all of his friends and co-runners of the company on vacation and calling it a suspension. I think Tony Khan's a piece of shit, (coughs) personally. But if I put that to one side, yeah, he, he's hugging a, a new acquisition, and basically what he's saying with the with that picture is, look at this brand new weapon, look at this thing that we stole from the other guys, look at this thing that they had, and now we have it. Like, another piece on the chessboard, another toy for the toy chest, etc. Shawn Michaels, on the other hand, doesn't run WWE. He has a role in NXT, and I'm sure it's a very high-ranking role, but he doesn't own Wesley there would be a whole other cataclysm of, of bad bad mentions that would come with that what you have there is somebody who's not new somebody who has been there for a long ass time gotten pretty decent exposure probably worked directly with Shawn Michaels and has the has an established relationship within that brand with that you know legend obviously Shawn Michaels is also a wrestler who gets it um and knows what the the journey this kid's been on knows the struggles that he's had and is happy for him for an accomplishment that is the almost polar opposite of hey guys hey WWE fans we have a new weapon to use against you now that's why it's different that's why anyways albafire um and the match with mandy rose they did the little precursor like haunted house It was a lot of fun. Did you expect anything less? There was going to be something like this. It's a Halloween-themed show. It's a little bit of fun. Unclench your assholes and have a little bit of fun. Um, Apollo beats Grayson Waller after Grayson Waller beats Apollo. I don't like... um, I don't like how this went. This was this is a really bad move on NXT's part because the rules of a casket match are you have to be in the casket with the lid closed. Now, he went through the casket, which those people will say, "Oh my god, he's ripping off Darby Allen because Darby Allen's the first person to ever break a coffin, please shoot me in the face." Um but here's the thing. Here's where I think NXT fucked up. This is not. A, this is not a good fake out whatsoever. He put him through the casket, which meant the door, while broken, was closed, and the opponent was inside it. They restarted it so that Apollo can get the win. I didn't like that particularly. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Roxanne Perez and Cora Jade had a really awesome match. They, you know, it was a plunder brawl. It was a, what, what did they call it? It wasn't a hardcore match. It was a weapons wild match. They did all the, the chair shots and whatever. Roxanne Perez coming out with Cora Jade's old skateboard and then face planting her on. It was cool. They did their own version of a fall from the balcony. It was a bit contrived, but I'm not gonna... I'm not going to criticize taking a bump like that. You know why? Because I'm not going to take a bump like that. Roxanne Perez hitting the Pop Rocks on a pile of chairs to end the match was nice. It was good. And it was sort of, you know, NXT sort of gets pelters every now and then for being too overly dramatic. The way she sort of stands over And it's a victorious, you know, I've defeated my foe thing. But it's also like, man, I've done some things that I wouldn't normally do to get where I am. You know, people always accuse... NXT, the stick that they beat NXT with is, oh, Johnny Gargano staring at his hands, wondering what he's become, like he's an extra singer on Judas or something, but there's a place for that, and Roxanne Perez, who's, like, adorable, like, Snow White babyface most of the time, think early days Bailey. think, um... Oh, what's her name that just got signed to AEW? Willow Nightingale. Think, like, people along those lines. She comes across like that, to me anyways. So for her to go and be actually angry, actually violent with this person that used to be her best friend, that she professes to be her best friend, etc., that's the appropriate time to be that dramatic, in my opinion. But of course, nobody's going to agree with me. The Creed, uh, whatever the Creed brother was that took up. Why are we beeping? Why is this a thing? Why did I not turn off my phone? Here's a hint: Don't do your podcasts in chunks. Don't do what Donnie Phoenix does. That, anyways. um, The what's it called? Creed brother versus Damon Kemp in the hospital ambulance match, didn't really care, not gonna lie, Braun Breaker retains in a really cool match where they sort of took each other out, and they they brawled for a long time, and they really did beat the living shit out of each other, Braun Breaker remains the champion, the story between the other two is gonna continue on this week's episode of NXT, so we're not gonna talk about that too much, but Breaker retains, he's the champion I think we are going to have him drop that title by the end of the year and then he's going to pop up in the Rumble. That's just me. That's just how it goes. we got a couple of little news things in and around here. They had both sets of tag team champions on this show advertising that this Tuesday's NXT was going to be Tag Team Title Tuesday which was a little AEW and a little cringy. Um, we had Shotzi Blackheart hosting the show she she was really good. Her and, her and Quincy were a fun duo they didn't overstay their welcome except when she was confronted by Lash Legend and Lash Legend sold a DDT like a slowly falling tree and it made me sad. And we had a video package showing, um, what's his name, uh, Donovan Dijak burning his mask from Retribution, so T-Bar is no more, add that to the long list of things that Triple H is fixing, and Dominic Dijakovic, or Donovan Dijak, or whatever they're gonna call him now, is coming back as himself, and not as part of Retribution, which means every single member of Retribution has been unmasked. I mean, Shane Thorne, who was Slapjack, I think he's just done with the company. Uh, Mace is obviously Massey now, which, I mean, take that as you will. Um, T-Bar is coming back to NXT to be Donovan Dijak. Again, Mustafa Ali was never really masked as the leader of the group. Mia Yim left the company. She's in Impact. She's done with Impact. Rumor is she might come back to WWE, so that's all good. So we have... This completes the breakdown of that old faction. If there's any lingering bits left of Retribution, they are done as of now. Now, to start this week's episode of NXT, we had a quick video package recapping everything. Oh, and we got the... sorry as I'm all over the place. Uh, we got the announcement that the next NXT pay-per-view is going to be called Deadline. It's going to be in December, which is fine. That doesn't hurt my feelings either because we know that day one was taken off the WWE calendar and there's no pay-per-view in December. We've got a big gap between Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble, which is absolutely fine. But if they want to flip the script and fill that gap with another one more NXT pay-per-view, it doesn't hurt my feelings if they get out of the performance center that would be a lot better but that's neither here nor there we get a quick video package on Halloween Havoc to start this week's episode of NXT and then we go cold open into the women's tag team championship match Uh, Caden Carter and Katana Chance taking on Leons and Stark Uh, pretty obvious storytelling here obvious size and power advantage versus speed and teamwork they did a really good job even though Katana Chance and Caden Carter are the longer lasting team, they are the champions, etc., they did a lot in this match to show the new, like, burgeoning teamwork between Starks and Lions. It was really, uh, really, really good. I was distracted because everybody in the match was wearing green. And I don't mean distracted in the, oh, there's ladies in the ring, which is, you know, the stereotype of, of women's wrestling these days. That's the only reason we must watch. We, we're, we can't be watching because they're, you know, good wrestlers and shit. It must be because we're, you know, all drooling idiots. But everybody in the match was wearing green, which was hysterical to me. Um... We had a fake out win which was a real bummer for me but it was the fake out win made me realize how much I wanted it to be real they got a big boot and a counter roll up or sorry Chance goes for the big boot and she's counter rolled up by Stark for the win they start celebrating the crowd starts celebrating everything's everything's good you've got that instant euphoria of hey there's been a title change but then Katana Chance was not the legal person there was a hidden tag they restart the match the um, momentum and the the energy of the match has to start from scratch once again. The smaller team, the the better, the better working team, whatever you want to say. Uh, Spanish Fly by a Katana Chance gets a near fall, but then they hit their neckbreaker splash combination, and the champs retain later on in the night. We see them; they're both frustrated. They're gonna get a, They're gonna get another chance. They're not gonna make the same mistake twice. All that sort of stuff. When I get to the end of this, I do have what I predict. They, they didn't announce any matches. For Deadline, obviously, because we're just coming off of coming off of Havoc, and Deadline is like a month away. I have already, in my head, because they've plotted some clear courses here, I do have a fictional NXT Deadline fight card already. We're going to get to that when I'm done talking about NXT. Ilya Dragunov is going to face JD McDonough. Tonight, we show Ilya in the back. He calls JD a cancer. And in the interest of fairness, because I said this about Chris Jericho talking about CM Punk when CM Punk got fucked over by Tony Khan in AEW, maybe, maybe don't use cancer. Maybe don't use cancer. Um, I mean, you can say, you know, oh, he's a he's a virus on the company, and he's spreading throughout the roster and all that sort of thing. Cancer, uh, it's not It's not great, is it? I like Ilya Dragunov. His strengths are, to me, his strengths are not on the mic. Uh, the way he delivers his promos, even pre-recorded backstage promos, is... It's effective because it's unique, but I, it's one of those things that I don't think it's going to get everybody on board. I really want to get on board because I like Ilya Dragunov, but it's... It's just there for me. Uh, anyways, he goes on to talk about how he removed them from NXT UK and now he'll remove them from NXT as well. See, just say that. Don't call him cancer. Don't don't refer to him as a disease that affects millions and millions and millions of people. But it is what it is. They're gonna talk. Uh, sorry, they're gonna fight in our main event tonight. Wesley comes out. She, he's the new North American champion. He's he's pretty well received by the crowd. You know, loud. You deserve a chance, etc. Thanks, everybody. Talks about what he talked about last week. How he never thought he'd be here in the WWE. Let alone going for a title. Let alone going for a single title. He's interrupted by Grayson Waller, who tells him to stop sucking up, and goes on, on on a separate rant to talk about how he hates Halloween, and how he never really was pinned at Halloween Havoc, so he didn't really lose, Our truth comes out in the Joker costume to welcome us to Halloween Havoc, I love I Our love truth I don't care how goofy the segment is, I say the same thing on Raw, I'll say the same thing here, he comes out as the Joker, um, he thinks it's Halloween Havoc tonight, Um, Waller tries to fake him out and then tries to get him with a cheap shot and he loses and R-Truth versus Grayson Waller next week is going to be or should I say this week is going to be hilarious because it's more crossover and they might as uh, well, R-Truth is another one like um, Natalia. not too long ago came back to NXT for a spell and did some stuff with Cora Jade and I love any crossover, I love the crossover that they did before Halloween Havoc, bringing in the OC, bringing in Rhea Ripley, etc. Um, all those are great because they all have history, and there's a there's a homecoming feel to that as well. But I think it's even better when you get somebody like r Truth or Natalia or somebody like that because they're not being used at all on the main roster. When we talk about SmackDown, and we talk about the little tiny role that Natalia played on SmackDown this week, why not bring them down to NXT to interact with some of the newer talent and draw maybe not 100 eyes, but maybe 10 or so, and those out of those 10 fans, maybe one of them tells a friend, and now it's 11, etc., 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 it's fine, it sets us on a course for Wesley and Grayson Waller, which I think is going to be fantastic, little spoiler, that's one of the matches we're going to talk about later. And then, because of their interaction at Halloween Havoc, we had Shotzi Blackheart versus Lash Legend, and despite Shotzi's best efforts, this was terrible. Oh yes, Uh, Shotzi's introduced, not interrupted, introduced, there we go, by Quincy Elliott, and the two of them, like I say, they have a lot of banter between the two of them. Uh, Lash is terrible, but at least Shotzi gets the win, uh, celebrates with Quincy afterwards, and Lash Legend should be doing something else, in my personal opinion, which I'm sure will get me all kinds of comments in the comment section. Um... Apollo Crews cuts a promo in the back, they ask him what his response was to uh, Waller's comments from earlier, but how he didn't really win because it wasn't a pinfall, and he's like, well, I won, that was the rules of the match, etc. His eyes are now set on the NXT Championship, he mentions, he mentions the fact, he makes the announcement that Braun Breaker is going to be back next week, which is really interesting, kind of sounds like a babyface version of a call-out, which doesn't it's not the worst thing in the world let's be real Um, Brutus Creed comes out and he gets five minutes alone with Damon Kemp because apparently that was another stipulation on the ambulance match that nobody nobody told us about or I don't remember Um, Kemp shows up on the Titantron, and says he doesn't get his five minutes with him tonight because he hasn't been medically cleared, so he's not in the arena. Immediately, I thought that this was going to lull them into a false sense of security, and Damon Kemp, in fact, was going to be there. He was going to jump them from behind or whatever. That did not happen. So you know, my predictors all over the place. Instead, they get attacked by Sangha and Veer, and Ivy Nile comes out to check on her boys and talks, looks at Sangha like, how could you? This is where, this is where what I said earlier, you know, people being overdramatic for no reason, that is a bad accusation that I was talking about before with the Jade and Roxy match. This one, Ivy Nile coming out to look at Sangha like she's, like her hero has let her down because Sangha's the locker room leader. This was... How could you? This was the overdramatic BS. This is the thing that you should be knocking NXT over the head with. But, a couple different things here. I really want Ivy Nile to go on and have her own story, not just be the chick that hangs out with the jocks, because I don't think that serves her necessarily, and I do really like her. Um, she's, she's another one that you could just put up on the main roster tomorrow, and it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. As a whole, this being the new feud going forward, because... Um, Sangha and Veer, they were in share before, were they not? Or am I thinking about somebody else? But Sangha and Veer are pr- two pretty big-looking dudes, and the Creed Brothers ain't exactly small themselves, and they're athletic as hell. This is an intriguing match. I don't know that I would necessarily call it a match that I would 100% have put together, but it's a match that now that they've put it in front of me, I can give it a, give it a quiet nod and say, yeah, yeah, I'd like to see that. Um... This week on NXT, we are getting Mandy Rose's one-year celebration, and they advertise this with a really shit contrived three-way Facetime thing. One of them's at the beach, one of them's in the car, one of them's at the gym. They're all gonna, they're all gonna, you know, celebrate her one-year celebration next week. And oh my God, we almost died in the haunted house. It is what it is. Uh, pretty Deadly versus Idris Ofe and Malik Blade. I didn't write down anything for this because I couldn't give a shit guys I really couldn't here's the thing I want to stick up for Booker T once again because no Booker T is not the greatest commentator ever but Booker T is a lot of fun and he's slotted into a spot on the main roster or sorry on the main NXT commentary team and everybody online because everything has to be ist everything has to be an ism everything has to be a phobia everything has to be everything right Everybody's jumping on Booker T on commentary because he slags off Quincy Elliott because he's a little, you know, whatever you want to say, he's flamboyant and campy and whatever else you want to say about him. Oh, well, Booker T must be like this phobic or this-ist or whatever, but then you've got an act like Pretty Deadly who are also pretty campy, pretty flamboyant, pretty out there, pretty peacocky if you want to put it that way. And he's totally for them. So maybe it's not all about identity politics. Maybe he's just a commentator on TV playing a role that doesn't like the baby face. I don't want to break everybody's, you know, everything. Everybody's world. Everybody's identity politics driven uh, narrative here. But maybe it's not what you want it to be. And you actually have to come up with a real reason to complain. Moving on. Pretty Deadly versus just no and Malik Blade. Don't really care. Champs retained. Um... They need to work on the tag division. I'm going to talk a lot at the end of this podcast about the cool things that I think are happening in the women's division right now. As always, the counter to that is WWE really needs to work on their tag team division because, damn. Um, uh, JD McDonough in the back talking about his match coming up later on tonight with Ilya Dragunov and he basically says, I didn't win, but I kept Ilya Dragunov from winning and I'll call that a win. (laughs) because they re- they keep on replaying. This is what I don't get in triple threat matches as well. Um, you always have that one point in the match where somebody thinks that they've won and there's one breakup that happens that thing, oh, you stole that victory away from me. And in this case, it's where Ilya Dragunov had Braun Breaker pinned and uh, JD McDonough doesn't attack either of them. He just stops the referee just grabs the hand from doing the three count. Now, A that's smart, because he is the third participant in the match, and B, you're not going to be disqualified for putting your hands on a referee, because there's no disqualifications in a triple threat match, so he, he's now, I know he is the bad guy, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he's a good guy, but this is not the driving factor of, of, of a heel turn or a heel characteristic because, yeah, you went into the match and tried to keep somebody else in the match from winning. It's like when you, when you say, well, I need revenge on you for kicking me out of the Royal Rumble. Well, that's kind of the point. So no, it's, it's lazy and and it's mislaid, but I do like the, how they, when they did the replay, there was the whole, there was the holy shit look on Eli Dragonoff's face, and he's already kind of psycho, so looking angry and psycho is twice the fun. The schism are out <laughs> with all their masks on and, and whatever, and they've all got the sins written on them in, in glowing paint, and there's pride and greed and wrath, and they talk some absolute nonsense about pride and greed and wrath and how these things all run wild in NXT, and it's all a bit, it's all a bit whatever until they reveal their newest member, which is the purpose of the segment, and it's Ava Rain or Simone Johnson, or The Rock's daughter, and she's in the schism now, and she says, I'm casting off all preconceived notions of what everybody else thinks of me, and the schism is the only family I will ever need. Now... Couple of things to say here. Now, we, we we know that the crowd, or sorry, the at least the internet community went wild a while ago when they trademarked the name Ava Rain. Oh, my God, why wouldn't they call her Simone Johnson? I'm like, okay. How'd that work for Charlotte Flair? Tell me that, you know, unfinalized feelings or opinions or whatever that people had for Ric Flair didn't immediately get levied onto Charlotte Flair's shoulders, both in a positive, hey, Ric Flair was great, his daughter better be great as well, or in the negative, like, hey, well, we think Charlotte or we think Ric Flair's a piece of shit, so we'll take it out on her daughter. Uh, both of those. The Ric Flair fans and the Ric Flair haters both came down on Charlotte, and they continue to do so to this day. Also, she has the gall to be white, blonde, and successful. Moving on. Um, I don't think you're gonna get as much hate for The Rock, because at this point, who hates The Rock? But I mean, the people that know, know. And the people that actually, if there is a, such thing as a casual wrestling fan anymore, it's just another character on TV. I would love to be that casual in in some regards. But the ones that do are just like, okay anything they were gonna say they would have already said because they would have read on the dirt sheets like months or a year or whatever ago that The Rock's daughter has been at the performance center and she's in WWE and there hasn't really been any freak out so that so why not give her a fresh name, a fresh start, make her part of something very not Rock ish um... and set a defined path on her own way and everybody Everybody that says, oh, how come they didn't call her the pebble? Everybody that says it acts like they're the first person that said it, and you're just not, and that's just lazy and sad, and we don't know what she can do, and nobody knows what she can do. So, hey, instead of saying they should have done this, why don't you see what they're gonna do? This is day one. All the people that are like, oh, we need to put her immediately in the bloodline. It's like, okay, no. Um, as much as I don't particularly like either one of them, I would side more with the people that have said, uh, Tamina, or if Nia Jax ever comes back, please God, um, like, they would make more sense, they're already established characters, the people that are like, uh, the people that are like, oh, we need to bring back Naomi and put her in the bloodline because she's Uso by injection, no. No, 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 no. You have the one outsider in Sami Zayn, which is a great story that we're going to talk about in the next segment. You don't need any more. And you don't need to force somebody. Like, Ava Rain, who's probably great, like, grown up being in this family, grown up under the literal parental eye of the rock, knows that she can do something. But why would you put somebody brand new first day, not only already knowing that they are the daughter of The Rock, but also put them in the bloodline, which is being touted, rightfully so, as the best thing in wrestling right now. The expectations of that would be absolutely fucking crippling. And look at what they did with Solo Sokoa. They let him establish him I mean, they didn't hide from the fact that they were related. he was related to the Usos and all that. But they let him establish himself in NXT. And then, when he showed up on the main roster, you knew what he could bring to the table. Er- ergo, you knew what he could bring to the bloodline. If they are going to do that, which they don't have to, why would you not do that? Why would you not let this just be a thing? I know a lot of people don't like the schism. I know a lot of people don't like Joe Gacy because... He started out as a SJW parody character, and a lot of people thought it was way too similar to what they see when they look in the mirror, but don't take that out on a brand new character that has existed for exactly five days as I'm recording this right now. Don't, just don't do it. Don't be weird. It's fine. Indy Hartwell versus Sol Ruka. I really like Sol Ruka. Uh, I've seen exactly one match. She does all the athletic stuff. The whole, like, I'm going to walk on my hands and it's going to turn into a head scissor is is a nice, neat little thing. The fact that, yes, that when they did her video packages, they shot her at the beach, so, oh my god, she's a surfer, that's a wrestler. Like... Again, just jump on something that you don't like, whatever. I do like Indy Hartwell coming out in the Scream gear, because it's close to Halloween. I do like her doing the Dexter Loomis-style thumbs-up in her entrance, which is also good. I like Sol Ruka. Indy should be moved up to the main roster. I said it in my in my Raw segment there. Indy should be part of the, the way. Uh, they need to bring all five of them together, and they can be a really entertaining uh, counterpoint to the judgment day. I think that will come along at some point. And as I said before, if that match ever happens, we will call that the judgment way match. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Dragunov and JD McDonough kill each other. That's all that is. Um, we sell the story right from the get that Dragonoff is nursing internal injuries from the spear that he took in the match at Halloween Havoc. So everything's to the midsection. Everything's to the midsection. He even crashes at one point on the outside into the commentary desk where they do the whole bring the medical staff out and hey, we don't think you should continue. Oh no, I'm going to soldier on and be a good guy and continue. The match ends when uh, JD McDonough gets him in this really weird grounded body scissor abdominal stretch choke thing Um, he gets the win he keeps it on afterwards just to sort of make a point I guess and he stands tall at the end and he's he's a worse guy because he's a bad guy that won and he's and again this is again where they they go to the oh my god how could you possibly take advantage of, of such a weakness in your opponent is that not the entire point Of a wrestling match, like, if, how can I say this, if your opponent charged at you in the middle of a match, and you move out of the way, and they smack their knee into, say, the steel steps, this is a hypothetical, so you'll excuse me pulling it off the top of my head, you know at that point that that person has... Dinged up their knee, their knee's going to be sensitive. You would do a knee bar, you would like jam the knee into the post a couple more times, you would do the wrap around the ring post like Bret Hart used to do back in the day. You might go for a single leg crab or a figure four or hell, even a sharpshooter, right? Because you took advantage of something that was presented to you as an advantage. Now, how is that any worse? when it's somebody that's carrying an uh, an injury from a previous match that you were also in, that you contributed to in that match. Why would you not take advantage of it again today? That's not... That's just winning. (laughs) And I know in the real world, we don't like people that... Are winning at life. We don't like people that struggle less than us. We don't like people that have more money than us because they they must have done something wrong. It's not us. We've not done anything wrong. They must have done something wrong if they have something we don't have. If JD McDonough is somebody we don't like and he wins a match, there must be something wrong with it. Even when there's nothing wrong with it, art imitates life. Imitates art happens in wrestling a lot, but it's it's so glaring sometimes where you've got a guy that's already a bad guy. You don't need to enhance it anymore but like I say you do the whole like oh he stopped the count in the triple threat yeah of course he did because he wants to win the triple threat he he went after somebody's weakness in a match one-on-one a couple days later because he knew about it because the best scouting you can do is being in the ring when an injury happens and if you know the injury's there you would go for it that's that's it's a bad way to book a heel especially somebody who's already a heel is all I'm gonna say about that, I like JD McDonough, I hope he becomes champion, I really do, but, here's the deal, so we have Halloween Havoc in our rearview mirror, we have a couple things going on, going forward, as always with NXT, there's a couple things that are still a bit shit, Um, but just based on tonight, tonight alone, I've put together a fantasy card for Deadline, and what I think will happen, and I think at least some of these will happen, you're going to get Dragonoff versus McDonough in some sort of hardcore, stipped-up match at some point. Probably Wes Lee versus Grayson Waller for the North American Championship, which high-key, high-key, high-key could be the match of the night. You're going to get The Creeds versus Sangha and Veer, and if you ask me, I would say just toss in pretty deadly, only because... Throw for the sake of getting the titles involved, not necessarily because I want to see them, you're going to get a rematch between Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter versus Stark and Lyons. Again, they'll probably put a step on that. It'll either be no disqualification or it'll be... Actually, because the issue was that it wasn't the legal person, I could see them turning this into a tornado tag, and that could be a lot of fun because those four ladies in the ring together, Nikita Lyons, Zoe Stark, Casey Catanzaro, and... uh, Caden Carter, fuck calling her Katana Chance, Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro, the four of them together, putting matches together, do have an interesting chemistry, because there's power, there's size, and then there's, on one side, and then there's speed and agility, and a little bit more familiarity as a team on the other side. I think they're a great team, and I don't think any of them are really knocking on the door of being heels, either, it's just all four of them elevating each other, it's a very... This is a loaded comparison, but it's a very edge Christian Hardy's situation there, in my opinion. Um, I do think Roxanne Perez is going to roll off of the win over uh, Cora Jade and make herself the next contender for Mandy Rose. I do think Mandy Rose drops it at that point. And it was teased tonight, but Braun Breaker versus Apollo Crews is not a match that would hurt my feelings in the slightest. I think that would be... Now, this is going to be a backhanded compliment because I do, it, it is a match I want to see. I do think that would be the night that maybe you put something else in the main event. I think that could be the night. If the card that I've just put out here, it happens as, as I say it's going to happen, I think you could make Wesley and Grayson Waller the main event. Because one of the most sympathetic baby faces who's just beginning his moment of triumph versus one of the better developed heels on the roster that everybody wants to see get his ass kicked because he's got the he's got the punchable face, he's got the, you know, Ms. LA Knight, uh, Austin Theory, Grayson Waller, they all have the big punchable face, right? So Wesley, in his first big title defense against somebody like a Grayson Waller, that could main event a show. I mean The NXT shows are not big shows yet anyways. So uh, your your standard of what the main event should be kind of gets a bit skewed because it is just a little bit bigger than a weekly show. So you could very much have Wesley versus Grayson Waller uh, as the main event as your North American championship. As you could, um, given the right circumstances, put the Intercontinental Championship at the head of a pay-per-view. The US title, now that Seth Rollins holds it, is very much main event bait for a pay-per-view that might not have Roman Reigns on it, you could, now that the Usos are as established as they are, you could put those tag titles in the main event of a pay-per-view, if you had the right opponents, etc, 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 so these are the matches that I think we're building towards, uh, and most of them look pretty damn good, it's just, outside of the names that I've just mentioned here for that next card, everything else that's going on in NXT is kind of, it's got a really good core, and then it's got this really silly frame around it. It's a, it's a mix of black and gold, proper NXT, and 2.0, which we're slowly pulling away from. Thank God. Let me know down in the box below what you thought of Halloween Havoc. Let me know what you thought of this week's NXT. Let me know particularly what you think of my fantasy uh, NXT deadline card. And after the next awkward transition, we're going to talk about SmackDown. All right, one more time for the good times. Let's talk about SmackDown or the Bloodline and Fiend show. Is what we're going to call it. Uh, Started off the show nice and early with Sammy and Solo taking on Butch and Ridge of the Brawling Brutes. Seamus was kayfabe uh, taken out of the show, removed from the show with the fake arm injury last week, which was done really, really well. Turns out that that was to write him off of the show this week because he went and got married. I saw a bunch of really cool pictures from his wedding. Um, a, Drew McIntyre towers over everybody, and B, the wedding looks fantastic. So, not that he's ever going to hear this in a million years, but Seamus and Mrs. Seamus, congratulations to you. He'll probably be back well, he won't be back next <coughs> week because next week is pre-taped. Next week is pre-taped, and all the results are already out, but we're not going to talk about it in this particular show. <coughs> Sorry. We do have Rich, Ridge and Butch. I'm going to stop calling it Rooch soon, because the names are... Just just make him Pete done. it's fine, don't worry about it versus Sammy and Solo. Seamus is out with a broken elbow as I say, pre-match instructions from Jay or sorry 4J from Sammy are don't do what I said last week don't leave it to don't leave it to me. I don't have it. We need to show a United front after what happened with you last week getting knocked out by Logan Paul. We want to have Roman when he shows up later tonight see us all with four fingers up in the air and all that kind of thing. So, Jay really doesn't get involved in the match, though. There are outside shots and interference by Jimmy. Ridge goes on a power spree at one point where he comes off a hot tag and just sort of trucks everybody. I hate that that's an expression, but it seems to be the expression people use. Jay tries to help pull Sami Zayn out of... I think he was going to get, like, clotheslined or booted or something like that, and he pulls him out of of the ring and and starts arguing with Sammy, and try. Sammy tries to correct him, and they both get railed by Butch once again. Solo, on the other hand, pulls one of the guys off the top turnbuckle, and Sammy turns to Jay and says, that, that's how you try to help. <laughs> which is fine. Um, the roll-up by Butch gets the win, which is not even the point. J- uh, Jay and... I'm going to get all the names straight, guys. I'm really sorry. Jay and Sammy are in the ring. They're about to go face-to-face. Solo and Jimmy stand between them, defending Sammy, which is only going to wind up Jay. And then Roman comes. This is like all the bickering kids, and then mom or dad comes home. He comes down. He makes them wait a long-ass time. He makes them wait through the entire commercial break. Does his whole acknowledge me shtick. Doesn't even face them. Has them all lined up behind him as he's speaking, and he says, you know, you guys are fighting like kids. This is not the kind of thing that we, you know, we typically want to handle out in the open. We would want to handle this in the back and handle our business in the ring, but you two, you know, sort yourselves out type thing. Um, Sammy goes first. He wants to bury the hatchet, he doesn't... Uh, he's playing the good guy, he's playing the, you know, the the, the done-upon nice guy. He's like, hey man, look, I just want us all to be... I want us all to be friends, I want us all to be family. Like I'm good with Solo, I'm good with Jimmy, I'm good with Roman, why can't I be good with you? Whatever I did to you, I'm sorry. And Jay steps up, he pours it on, he says, get your hand out of my face. He won't, he won't take it. He's riling up right next to Roman, and Roman not turning around, but just... Like getting more and more like frustrated, but with the forced calm face it was really really cool. Um, he says, you know, I, I I hate you. I hate your face. I hate your beard. I hate that you're that it says the word ooze on your t-shirt. How are you gonna act like you're the bloodline when you're not blood, whatever? And Sammy once again says, hey, like I don't get it. Like your brother's cool with me. Your younger brother's cool with me. The tribal chief is cool with me. I just want to be here and, you know, pay respect to the tribal chief. And he says, I don't give a shit what the tribal chief says. And the whole world goes on pause. Solo goes to one corner. Jimmy goes to one corner. Jay stands in the center. Realizes exactly what he's done. Roman, just the... You can see the hairs on the back of his neck start to start to twinge. Even the crowd going exactly where where WWE wants them to go with the you fucked up chants, which is really good. Um, As Roman's about to lay into Jay, Sammy once again, is trying to calm Roman down. It's like, hey man, he's been going through a lot, he's not feeling very oosie right now. The oosie thing kills me, because then immediately the crowd starts chanting oosie, and, um, Roman and Jay at this point, it has to be said, it doesn't ruin the segment because it's so fucking good, but both of them are trying so hard not to crack up when Sami Zayn is doing all this oozy stuff, and Roman tells them, you know, is that it? Is it, is it, you're not feeling oozy? <laughs> and every time Jay is about to crack and laugh, he puts his head in his hands, which works, because he's like in turmoil in the storyline, and he he's hanging his head, and his his leader is coming down on him, but it's just, you can't hide it, and he says, well, you better find your inner Usy, because if you don't, I'm gonna do something that you're not gonna like, and he points to Sami Zayn's honorary Usy shirt, and he says, I'm gonna take the honorary off of his name. I'm gonna make him a full-blown Usy. Hell, if I feel like it, I might even rename him Sammy Uso. The crowd goes nuts on this. The crowd goes absolutely nuts on this. Everybody's sort of staring down everybody. Paul Heyman grabs the microphone to try and save the segment and and almost be the flashy, like, uh, you know, parent dealing with baby jingles keys over here now. Heyman quickly plugs Crown Jewel, quickly um, counts down to the commercial break and gets them all out of there, it was very much a, hey guys, okay, that's enough, we need to we need to stop, we need to get out of here, whatever, but I just, the mental breakdown of Jey Uso, that's what I'm saying, the whole Bloodline thing was built around Roman Reigns, but it's not, I mean, it is all about Roman Reigns, because it centers around him, but the story here now, 100%, and I'll do credit to everybody involved, because everybody participates in it, but the story of the Bloodline right now is the mental breakdown of Jey Uso, and it's fucking phenomenal I want this is what I want and you guys tell me what you think you guys tell me if you agree or not there's going to be a brawl the five of them are going to be in the ring again they're going to be cutting a promo a brawl is going to break out between Sami Zayn and Jey Uso and Jey Uso is going to super kick Sami and it's going to miss and Jey's going to super kick Roman And the one that gets kicked out of the bloodline, the one that gets the shit kicked out of him and gets kicked out of the family, so to speak, when everybody thought it was going to be Sami Zayn, is actually going to be Jey Uso. Roman Reigns uses whatever authority he has to strip Jey Uso of his tag team title, and the tag team champions are now Jimmy and Sami Uso. Do that. Do that. Give him, like fake tattoos at this point (laughs) give him like like how all the Samoans have the tribal tattoos which I don't want to make I'm not making light of I know there's you know serious meaning behind it and whatever but because it's Sami Zayn and because he could get away with it make him Sami Uso give him the like fake tats down the one arm or whatever make Jimmy and Sami Uso the tag team champions and have Jay be the one on the outside have Jay Be the one that has to reach out to The Rock if the rumors about The Rock versus Roman Reigns are true. Because you could do. The whole time, everybody's like, oh, Sammy's this dork who's, like, tagging along with the bloodline, and eventually they're going to turn on him. If he's the one that gets to stay, and Jey Uso, because he's been driven so nuts, and because, like I say, his mental breakdown is the storyline, if that's if that gets him removed, and it's like, okay, you're leaving, he's staying, he's more family than you are, because, you know, he's he understands the assignment, speaking of catchphrases that I don't particularly like, um, that it would be so good it was, and the way Paul Heyman just sort of sneaks in at the end, wraps up the segment, counts down to the commercial break, and goes off. Um, what's it called? Um, uh, Joe Gacy did it a couple weeks ago when he was like, I'm going to show you my special guest opponent as soon as we get back from the commercial break. Uh, we get another video package for the Viking Raiders. It's being narrated by Sarah Logan, obviously. And Jesus Christ, whoever was running the camera likes Sarah Logan's tits. Viking Raiders are back. Sarah Logan being back with them is the story. I think it. I think it more completes them as a unit. Uh, New day versus maximum male models. It's basically an excuse. I mean, it's a good match. I mean, the maximum male, the guys in Maximum Male Models, uh, Mason Mansoor, are like phenomenal athletes. Don't get me wrong, but this gimmick is what it is, and it's a chance for the commentary to talk about how the Usos uh, have almost beaten the New Day's you know longest reigning tag team title record, and it makes you think again. Because they're pushing this now, and because this match with the New Day happened right after the the big Bloodline thing, it does immediately make me think: Are they gonna try and st- are they gonna try and beat the New Day's record? And maybe they even face the New Day on the day that will establish them as breaking the record. And Jay fucks that up because he's so messed up in the head right now. New Day get the win, obviously. Um, maximum male models are what they are, and the New Day. Other than the Usos, like, they are the uncrowned favorite tag team in the WWE. Now, I'm not saying whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is definitely a thing. Sonya Deville, who hasn't learned her lesson, clearly starts trashing Liv Morgan in the back, and Liv Morgan beats the shit out of her again because she hasn't learned her lesson. Now, here's the thing I had a bunch of optimism here because I think taking the title off Liv Morgan sort of sent the message that, yeah, maybe putting a title on her was a mistake. Now, she lost to Ronda Rousey. I'm not saying that that's not a valid thing. Like, Liv Morgan maybe shouldn't beat Ronda Rousey for obvious reasons. Um, But she does need something. But she does need something in the sense that okay we decided that she's not ready to be the champion just yet but we have to give her something because if you give her take away the title and give her nothing it's not just hey we've decided she's not a champion anymore we've decided that she's a loser so you've sent her off in this new hardcore direction and it's paired her off with Sonya Deville who also hasn't been doing very much and I thought that they were going to bring each other up if that makes sense, but it really seems just like they've smacked them together so that they both have something to do so that they can move on to book something else, which isn't quite so great. Uh, Strowman cuts a promo talking about how Omos is just another challenge, talks about how he's, you know, he's pulled pulled the stages apart in his previous runs. They show the was it was it Bobby Lashley that he was facing when he pulled down the entire stage mechanism and then he shows him flipping cars and trucks and ambulances and whatever he says when I stood face to face with you last week I thought oh good this is a challenge and I think I think that's really good because he's not saying I'm going to walk into Crown Jewel and I'm going to beat you and it's going to be easy he's saying I'm going to walk into Crown Jewel and face you because you look like a fun challenge It's not that much of a difference, but it is a difference. Ronda Rousey's open challenge is answered by fucking Emma. Get in. This finishes off the story of uh, the influence splitting up in Impact and Madison Rain going to AEW and getting used really really shittily because it's AEW and Emma comes into the WWE and immediately is face to face with Ronda Rousey. So who won that coin flip? It was a decent showing Emma does the tarantula, she goes for the Emma sandwich in the corner a couple of times Uh, Ronda does this really cool thing where she sort of ties her up in the ropes and gets her with knee strikes. Chokes out Emma with her own arm because isn't that nice um, Emma hits uh, hits this really cool like r- deadlift wheelbarrow suplex thing, but an eye rake and a piper's pit and an armbar get the win for Ronda Rousey. Now, what I love about that is she could absolutely have just locked on the armbar and won the match because it's fucking Ronda Rousey at the end of the day. But I think like an eye rake to win a match is cheap. An eye rake to win a match when you didn't even need to use the eye rake is just being a bitch, and I think that's that's the wheelhouse for Ronda Rousey, and I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, she's a female fighter, so let's call her a bitch, but, like, you don't have to. You don't, like, it would be like hitting a massive, like, Canadian destroyer on somebody, And having them be totally out and then instead of just pinning them because you know you can you then take their limp body and put a submission on them just because you can it's it's that but in in the cheating realm now in the back now we sort of go back and forth between announcements and backstage stuff but in the back she gets congratulations from Shayna Baszler and then Natty starts talking shit so Baszler chokes her out and they sort of high five and walk away now here's the cool thing once again the unnecessary meanness of what this could be. Ronda Rousey walking around as champion with Shayna Baszler in her corner would be the ultimate heel thing. Because Ronda Rousey can already kill people. Shayna Baszler, even though she hasn't been always presented the greatest on the main roster, if you get her back to NXT, uh, Shayna Baszler, can kill people. Neither one of them needs help. But the fact that they bring down that help anyway, just... It's like hitting somebody with a bus, being pushed by another bus, and I think that's really cool, shout out Natty, Natty is another one, like I said, in my NXT portion, could uh, maybe go down to NXT, and and mix it up with a couple people down there, because they ain't doing anything with her, on the main roster, that's fine, we get some announcements at the same time, um, the Usos versus Butch and Ridge uh, for the unified tag team champions this is going to happen at Crown Jewel. The Usos are going to win, but that's fine. Butch and Ridge got the win tonight because of all the shenanigans. So technically, they are the number one contenders. And then we used SmackDown to make a Raw announcement. It's going to be Bailey versus Bianca Belair, last woman standing, at Crown Jewel. And this is going to further bury Bailey, isn't it? Because they're not going to they're not going to have Belair lose, because it's Bianca Belair and she's the John Cena of the current era. But This is where uh, all those people are going to get twisted up. And again, I am not defending the actions of the government of Saudi Arabia because it's not my place to do so. But I am talking about a wrestling show that I'm going to turn on and watch on my television. She's just going to... She's just going to beat her. And it's going to be sad and... And I'm going to point out the obvious, and I'm going to be called racist for pointing out the obvious, but it's fine. Legato Delph and Tasma taking on Hit Ro and their mystery partner. Now, they could have done a lot of really cool things here. I thought they were going to do this maybe to bring up somebody from NXT, or at least focus on somebody from NXT. I thought it would have been really cool because they brought in Sola Sokoa when he held the um, North American Championship. I thought it would have been really cool, because he just won the North American Championship, not as a call-up, but as a one-night thing, have uh, Hit Row call on Wesley. Not only because they would know him from NXT, but he is a tag team guy that has just won his first singles title. Um, But no, they bring in Shinsuke Nakamura, which is... Fine, nothing against Shinsuke, but I thought it was going to be something a little bit more surprising. They have a nice three-on-three brawl, including BFAB and Vega, before the match even starts. Um, The only thing I can really take from the match, Legato's being presented really well. Uh, Hit Row are kind of being presented as goofballs a little bit, but I wouldn't mind Shinsuke Nakamura versus Escobar one-on-one. Babyfaces get the win. It is what it is. LA Knight, cutting a promo in the back gets cut off by Ricochet. Uh Ricochet just says, you know, hey, I don't want you walking into my locker room and and being a smart ass with a smart mouth or whatever the hell he said. Ricochet is another one who's absolutely fantastic. Don't give him a microphone. He doesn't he's not very good with the microphone and he doesn't need it. He can, he's one of those do the talking in the ring. Type, type of guys, they're going to fight next week, I've already seen the results, we're not going to talk about them here, because they haven't quote-unquote happened yet, um, Karrion Cross kills Madcap Moss, because they wanted to do Cross versus Moss, um, this match went way longer than it ever should have, there's a distraction by Scarlet, the Hidden Blade, and Cross gets the win, and then he cuts a promo on Drew McIntyre, and what Drew McIntyre did to him a couple weeks ago, while choking Moss out. Like, he's got him in the cross jacket with a microphone in his hand, and he's cutting the promo while he's choking out Madcap Moss. That was cool. That was a little bit different. Um, we get another thing. Bray Wyatt's been pacing around backstage, and we've seen the the jump scares throughout the night and whatever. He comes out once again to talk about his demons and his, and his struggles and all that kind of thing. I'm not really going to do it any justice, so I'm not really going to try. And then we get Uncle Howdy on the on the TitanTron, talking about, you know, you thought you were free, you let him go, meaning the fiend, and you, you're trying to tell these people that you're not wearing a mask right now, you are wearing a mask right now, and you know it, and I know it, and uh, your Uncle Howdy knows it. Um, the mask is weird, they, they they need to figure out what that is. Supposedly, people are doing, like, side-by-sides of, like, bits of people's tattoos and bits of people's, like, earrings and whatnot, and supposedly the person behind... The Howdy mask is Bo Dallas? I mean, it would make sense, and it would be a cool way for him to get his his relative back in the company, even if he's not playing Bo Dallas. Um, but I've heard two different things now. The, the Uncle Howdy character I had heard was supposed to be a tribute to Luke Harper, which doesn't look like the case, because I don't see the resemblance. Or it's supposed to be a reference to, I think, his actual uncle, which is Barry Wyndham. I don't know if either of those things are true, by the way. I'm just putting it out there. These are just things that I've heard. I do like, even though we are doing a, another personality type story with Bray Wyatt, this sort of, like, the quote-unquote real Bray Wyatt that we're getting in the ring is, is connecting with people. And even the people that didn't like him before, I think there's a lot of space for it. <coughs> and it's like... When people complain about, oh, whenever somebody cuts a promo in WWE they're always cut off with a, with an interruption or somebody comes in with an interruption and then they have a match. Uh, I think we're having that effect literally with this because people are less into whatever the other character is going to be and more into this real Bray Wyatt. So it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that going forward If they, if they see that one side of this is more comfortable than the other eventually they could just lean away from the spooky stuff altogether and just let this real Bray Wyatt be its own thing without having other sides to it. But me, I like the spooky stuff, I like the supernatural, I like everything from the boogeyman to Mordecai to the undertaker. So, whatever this other Uncle Howdy thing is going to be, I'm at least going to give it a chance. So, as it stands right now, uh, Crown Jewel, other than being a Saudi Arabia show, whatever, make your political comments elsewhere, that's not what I'm talking about. It looks pretty good on paper. Air versus Bailey in a Last Woman Standing. The Usos versus the Brawling Brutes for the Unified Championships. The OC versus the Judgment Day in a Trios Match. Drew versus Cross in a Cage. Strowman versus Omos in a Battle of the Giants. Lashley versus Lesnar, which is Lashley versus Lesnar, and Roman versus Logan Paul for the World Championship. That's going to be a good show. If that was any other show, people would be drooling over it. Some people. Some people. The, the the naysayers that never like anything WWE does are going to be like that forever. But any normal person looking at it, sort of objectively, is like that's that's a decent card. Now there's nothing for Roman for uh, Ronda Rousey to do on that card, and there's no mid card titles featured on there. So I would I would nitpick the shit out of that eventually. But on its face, that's a pretty fucking good card, and just about just about everything on there has been built to. It's not just they threw some shit together. I mean, obviously Roman versus Logan Paul is like the marquee thing. So they did just kind of throw that out there and say, hey, we're doing this at a pay-per-view. But everything else, I mean, the O.C. versus the Judgment Day, Drew versus Cross, Strowman versus Omos is just two giants looked at each other and said, let's fight. Same thing with Lashley versus Lesnar. But Usos and the Brutes, um... Is, is a cool thing, and eventually I'm sure that's going to lead to Seamus and Roman having some kind of interaction. Bel Air versus Bailey, as much as it's been way one sided in its booking, has been happening for a long time. I I don't have any complaints about this card, guys. I'm going to enjoy it on the day. I'm going to set aside the fact that it's happening over in this terrible place where nothing's ever allowed to happen and the fans aren't allowed to have any fun. Um, and I'm going to look at the show as a show, because that's what we should be doing, in my personal opinion. Now, what I do want to say to end off this, because every time... I end off one of these episodes, I think, what is what is Triple H doing that I like this week? And it's, when I say Triple H, I just mean WWE in the Triple H era. It's not him, it's him and his team and all the decisions that have come all the way down. The women's division in WWE needs a mid-card. I don't necessarily think it needs a mid-card title. We need to establish the whole, like, feuds can happen without titles being involved. Tony Khan, I hope you're listening. Um, but, there's a lot at the top. Like at the top, you could have, depending on how you see people, you've got Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, um, Shayna Baszler, maybe, um, Bianca Belair, Bailey, all the members of Damage Control, all that kind of thing. So you do have quite a bit of crowding at the top. What you need to do is fill out the middle. So let's see what we've done in the past little while. Emma returned on SmackDown this week. Candace returned not too long ago. Shotzi Blackheart, now. Shotzi got a lot of focus because Aliyah was suddenly injured and we needed somebody in that tag team spot. But Shotzi's gotten a lot of focus, along with Raquel Rodriguez, but also being used to host the NXT pay per view, plus doing a little bit of crossover on the NXT television. So she's gotten a lot of focus. Sarah Logan is coming back with the Viking Raiders. Now, that could be as a manager role, or that could bring her back to the ring as well. Same thing goes for Zelina Vega, who's awesome in the ring, as we know, and is also serving in this manager's role to hit row. We fixed Nikki Cross this week on. Raw. That's going to be good. The rumors are that Mia Yim and Chelsea Green are coming back. Rhea Ripley, who I definitely wouldn't call a mid-carder, but but could help the mid-card develop its own identity, is back in the ring as of a couple weeks ago on NXT. And on the other side of the coin, for the main event scene, we are waiting on the returns of Becky Lynch and Charlotte. So, as always, as much as I like, you know, a lot of the dudes, the, Karrion cross came back, the Fiend is back, or sorry, Bray Wyatt is back, and all these types of things, and all these cool things that are going on into Crown Jewel, the sort of, the focal point, or sort of like the high point of WWE, much like AEW and their tag team division, is the women's division. And I think it's really, really cool that not only are we focusing on the women's division, but we are swelling the middle of that women's division. I said it on Twitter, Uh, we've got enough people that are right now main eventers, and we've got a nice little crop of people here that are just about to be main eventers. And I think that's what you need to do. And that means what you need to do is you need to look at the bottom of the roster and think, okay, are you at the bottom of the roster for a reason, or can we slide you up into that middle spot? Uh, I'm always going to advocate for somebody like Dana Brooke in that scenario. Dana Brooke, not a main eventer. Absolutely Wouldn't wouldn't push for her to be. But absolutely could be a strong part of that mid-card. And, you know, in a year or so, she could be. That's all I'm going to say. And I think it's really, really cool. I think it's going really under the radar that that's the pattern that's happened in the past week or so. I thought I'd put some focus on it. Because, yes, we are coming out of the Crown Jewel show. And, yes, there's all the political nonsense that comes with that. But, you know what? Come out with a... Come out with a really strong women's card. Come out with uh, a couple of Raws and Smackdowns that main event around the Women's Championship to to cap out the year before we get into the Royal Rumble. And hey... Maybe the Royal Rumble can end with the Women's Royal Rumble. Again, we will balance the scales. It'll be fine. I've rambled for quite long enough. If you've listened to me this far, I really do thank you. This was a jam-packed episode of WWE last week because we had to squeeze all the NXT stuff in there as well. Hope you guys are liking this series as a whole. Let me know down in the comment section below. But until next time, I'm losing my voice, so I've been Spaz, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there. Talk down there. Start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each the last one of you later, but for right now, I am tagging I gotta